Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 17 of the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Eidson, and Dara McAnthony, Chairman and Owner, Peterborough United. So, Dara, I think that we both are minting how we're sick at the moment. So we're gonna yeah, be, uh, yeah, yeah, this is going to go well. <laughs> coughing all the way through this and praying on both of our hotel Wi-Fis. Oh, God. Yeah, apologies to the fans. I've got a bad head cold. You say I'm fucked as well. Um, I'm in the UAE in business for like two, three days. I'm back to England tomorrow. I haven't been in aircon for two months, and I think the aircon has just gone to my chest. So I'm mm-hmm. just like completely. I sent my butler out. I sent the guy out to get uh, antibiotics earlier on for me just to give me a quick whop. So I am feeling slightly better than I was a few hours ago. But bear with us, everyone. If the Wi Fi is shit, if we both appear like shit, we apologize. We'll do our best. See, we just we still wanted to show up. We didn't do one last week. We wanted to make sure that we did one this week. Yeah, uh, exactly right. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like to the bitter end. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so that's that's dedication. Where do we start, Philip? Where do we start? Yeah, let's start with um, the cup. So I think that's where we left things. The end of the last episode. So you had Leeds coming up. So um, you lost three 0 at home to a wonder goal. Was one of them. It was one of those games that you never really kind of got hold of it, did you? I said, I said to Baz when the goal went in, that's all anyone was going to talk about for the next seven days. I've had to block so much shit on Twitter, seeing that goal over and over. Mm-hmm. Here's the reality. Ten minutes, we weren't in it. After ten minutes, we were the better team until probably up to that goal, the first goal scored by Leeds from a set piece. Um, our football was brilliant. Um, we didn't look out of place. Leeds being ruthless like they are, like we are at times, um, you know, and, and they're a Premier League side. They basically scored before half time. Bad goal from us. Come out in the second half, we start well, they go long, Bamford does what he does, and then a 2-0, it's always a tall order against a team like Leeds. We chugged away. We probably had the four best chances in the game, and I mean fucking sitters. We've missed absolute sitters. So, you know what? It was a great, we had a, we had a great recruitment meeting the following day, which was always planned. It was on the Monday. And I said in that meeting, we're talking recruitment, but we're also talking plan A, plan B. Plan A, championship, plan B, League One. I'm talking about preseason. I was like, the mistake we made last time we were in the championship, we were so undercooked from a fitness, uh, a physicality perspective. Watching Leeds again tells you that that's the gold standard. Yes, they're a top championship side, but you're going to play teams like that twice a week. You have to be fitter, stronger. You're not going to get 20 chances a game. Everything's got to be better. Everything's got to be quicker. We feel we're built for it. We feel we'll improve. If we were to get to the championship, we feel that we could complement that league with what we have in the building. Um, but it's a long way to go, and it's a reminder to the players who were devastated losing that game, which is a good thing, that this is football. This is what you're up against. If you want to be better, you know, everything's got to be better. So, you, you know, you, you hope to take that as a po- turn that as a positive or a negative into a positive and kick on. Um, and to be fair, we played against Charlton on Saturday, and be the, even a Charlton fan will tell you it was the most one-sided first half. I actually at halftime thought, this is too easy. It's too easy. Like, it was that, it was that, I don't think they got in our box. And then the second half, we should have put the game away in the first four minutes. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but the ricochets, we've had four absolute guilt dead chances to score from hitting the post to fucking goal line clearance to, and then they got down the other end and score a scrappy goal. And then you got those wonderful big crowd behind you, which is normal for a club like Charlton. We turned them in the first half where they were booing. Mm-hmm. Then we gave them that thing to, oh, we're back in the game. Yeah. They're throwing on strikers. They're going, but our but we're a different we're a different breed nowadays. We just it was like, okay, you're going to attack us with two strikers. That's going to leave our front four a lot more space. Mm-hmm. We scored the next goal. 
we were under pressure the last 15 minutes. Then we were tired. It was the occasion, but we saw it out well. And uh, yeah, you know, fabulous results. You know, again, Charlton are mugs, one of the biggest clubs in our league. You know, if you look at our, you know, we've beaten Blackpool away. We've beaten Barnsley away. We've beaten Derby away. We've beaten Charlton away. You know, this is the youngest team in the league going to these big places in front of big crowds. I keep getting told we don't win in front of big crowds. And they've just played their game. And that's probably the best bit about it. We've just played our game and our game has been good enough. So it won't always be that way, but that that's the idea behind it. So, yeah, really happy to get back to winning ways on Saturday. And, yeah, the, the chase is on, I guess. You know, yeah. now, now it comes to a very, very busy 12 weeks or whatever else coming up. It's going to be game every three days. And, you know, yeah, look forward to it. Yeah, let's, let's attack it and let's love it. Do you feel that the players are playing with that? You talk about, you know, we can't play in front of big crowds. We can't win in front of big crowds. You've had so much churn that there's almost like those fears have been knocked out of the team. You know, this is a team that's playing without fear. Those players are gone. Those players are gone. So what we had last year, to give you a bit more insight into it, was we had a lot of the current young group were at our club last year. And it was really obvious if you analysed and watched the games, and we did a lot of it at the end of the season and after Sheffield Wednesday in the playoff, our best young players were criticised by the experienced players when they did something that made a mistake. A lot of the time, it was the experienced player's fault, but they looked at the inexperienced player and kind of threw it onto them. That, in turn, stopped some of our younger players wanting to do things, wanting to be brave, wanting to be... So the idea behind putting all young people together is they won't have a go at each other in a negative way. They'll dig each other out in a positive way, work harder, keep trying, do this. But what they won't be is they won't be afraid to do something that they're going to have someone six, eight years older than them having a go at them about. And that's just typical young, that's the generation we live in nowadays, good or bad, where you have to be, you have to, you have to handle young people differently than you did 15, 20 years ago. And that's worked where it's like, just go and play. And you know what? Okay, Leeds beat you 3-0, but you played great. And on another day, it's 2-2. And, you know, and, and, and go and attack Charlton, go and attack Derby. And you know what? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but we're going to stick to what we're doing. And that's just the way, and it's going to be like that. You know, and, and, and people are getting excited about league positions, everything else. Ignore all of that. Just get on with what you're doing. We'll do our best. What I'm loving is our crowds are growing. Our younger fan base are really engaged. They're really coming to games. You know, we had two ten and a half thousand crowds back to back over Christmas. We had 13,000 leads sell out. We could have sold 20,000 tickets. I know you're going to laugh because Bradford gets 17, 18,000 in their sleep every week. But for us, it's massive growth. We're, we're, we're reawakening or we're, we're, we're not reawakening. Some of the older fans are, are always with us, but we're bringing in a younger crowd who are like, hey, we got a really decent football club on our doorstep and we're trying to do things the right way. And hey, we're not owned by oil barons and, you know, shakes or whatever else and, and our, our, you know, ogolarks. But what we are is we're honest. We have an academy. We've got an identity. We're trying to play the right way. So we feel all those things will stand us in good stead. And we're excited about that. And, you know, you can see all the compliments coming, and that's great. Compliments are wonderful. You see the, the top in XG, the top in goal score, the top in possession. We had 69.5% possession against Charlton at their place in the first half on Saturday. That's Charlton, ex-Premier League club. And that's all great. But at the end of the day, it means nothing if you don't try and win games or if you don't win games or if you don't, you know, achieve what you want to do. So, look, we're, we're in the cup like you. We're doing all right in the league. We want to give it our best over the next few months. And, you know, but we're enjoying what we're doing. We're enjoying what we're watching. And that's probably more important than anything else. And, and there are the fears about, you know, lose your players and people are going to try and buy your players and this, that, whatever else. But 
let's just be fearless and just enjoy it. And that's just the best way to handle it, I guess, in my opinion. Yeah, you say about the crowds growing. I mean, for us, you know, we might have that number of people, but we've got them. Everyone's paying a five or a ticket. Sure. You know, I think that um, sure. when you're not Man United, you know, you want people to you want people to connect with you because they connect with the soul of the club, like who you are, who you stand for. That do you reflect my values? And uh, I think it's easier for somebody to connect with a young team than it is an older team as well, because you want because yes, you know we've talked about criticisms I may have had earlier in the season, and you know you're trying to deflect that and everything. But I think you're going to be easier on a young team than you are on an yeah. experienced team as well. And I do think that that creates more of a connection between the supporters because you feel more you feel closer to the team. You're right and wrong. Early in the season, it was a bit like people were like, you know, what are we doing here? We're very young and we don't have experience. And and there was a few naysayers. And there's still the odd naysayer, like Darren, you know, screaming at a fan in a couple of games ago and them digging out a young player. But the majority of the fans away from home, at home, understand they get it out after like half of the season. They know what we're trying to do. So they know it's honest. They know whatever's there. You know, they're a good bunch of lads. They're not dickheads. They're not big time targets. They're not playing for themselves. They're playing for the team. They're playing for the cause. And that's more important to our fans than anything else. Play for your team. Give us everything. Results aside, give us blood, sweat, and tears, and we're okay. So I have to say our fans are giving us blood, sweat, and tears. They're showing up in every which way I can imagine. And having a great CEO, having a great ticket manager now, Chris, who I believe has gone to another level because he's also following the wave. Having a guy like Sai running the safety team and all the aspects behind the scenes and handling the leads thing and the police, right down to a new marketing guy. There's a lot of enthusiasm behind the scenes at the club and you want that just to grow out. So yeah, I, you know, listen, it's all, it's, all, it's all going in the right direction on and off the field and long may that continue. And now in the middle, you uh, were supposed to play Crawley in the trophy oh, okay. um, and he had a pretty last minute postponement. Um, what happened there? Not our fault. So we, we call it pitch inspection. We knew there would be issues because of the temperatures with the pitch. There's a certain area of the pitch always freezes. We didn't want Crawley traveling. We had a pitch inspection with, we, we rang the EFL or wherever it was, and that you give them referees' names locally, and they approve. The ref came in, half 12, game's off. Okay. I'm down there anyway. I had like a lunch meeting with the supporters trust chairman. And Liz rang me and said, uh, ref said, not playable. I've rang the EFL, and they've asked for another inspection at half two. And we're like, okay, the temperatures are going to, going to get colder. From this afternoon to the evening, they're going to get colder. We can play this game next week, the week after. Crawley have no problem with that. We're talking to them. They're like, no, I have to have another inspection. Half two, the sun's out for a couple of hours. Now it's playable. We knew four hours later that would change. The ref then for the actual game comes down, goes out in the pitch at like half five, says to Darren, this isn't playable. I'm in my office. Darren comes up. I'm like, for fuck's sake. And he's like, I've got to wait for the Crawley manager to come. This is the ref. Fair play to the ref. And look, we can dig out the EFL. Look, they just want games on. I get it, you know. But there's no way we're taking any responsibility for what happened on that day. No way. I know people were having to go. and be, I've ended up having to pay staff, food, everything. Everyone's going to get their ticket, like, redone for the next game. So, yeah. So, the inconvenience for fans, horrible. Apologies for that. But it's cost us. And, you know, so a bit of an irritation. But anyway, so we've got Crawley in the Cup. Win that, I think we have Wimbledon. You do your job. We could end up with what I would call the Hard yeah. Truth Cup Final. Still on. The Hard Truth Cup Final is a nice ring to it. We might have to do yeah. a live podcast for 90 minutes during the game at Wembley in the Royal Box. First ever <laughs> so, live, uh, live podcast. <laughs> from the Royal Box. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Okay, you know, you'd be doing all the talking and I'll be just stressed just like that, you know, Wembley, you know, with my OCD. 
Yeah, people can see what it's like to sit by you for a game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Listen, that's the dream. Um, you know, some big sides left in the cup. Sides like Crawley are Crawley have done really well recently, so they're no mugs. So we're not even looking at Wimbledon. Was Crawley are a good team, and you know, and we'll have to use the squad. We've got a lot of games coming up. Obviously, in your side, you avoided I think Blackpool and Bolton play each other. Yeah, we've got Wigan or Doncaster at home. At home at your place, that gives you a chance. So you know, you guys go to Wembley. I think you'll bring fifty thousand, which will help fill the coffers. Yeah, I mean, I know that's been one of the targets to uh, to make up some money. Is you know, we've got to focus on this. Is a I don't want to say we haven't taken it seriously for a long time, but we've taken it a lot more seriously this season um, to try and get there, to try and get the money, and also to try and get something, I think, for the fans to get behind, given the uh, the struggles you know that we continue to have in the league. Well, to, to, to be fair, I mean, Carlisle are doing you a bit of a favour when it comes to money, no? <laughs> they're like, look at, I know. That was a little bit out of left field. Signing a few of your <laughs> players. Fucking, how long did the goalie have left? Well, he had six months, but we had a club option for a year, so he had 18 months. I would have, if we'd gone to the championship, I would have bought him to compete with our number one for the summer. Do you know what I mean? Good goalkeeper. As, as you know, obviously, I, I inquired in the summer before we had a chance to sign our current guy, Vilo. So, you know, um, good business by Carlisle. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You know, I think that, um, you know, when there was the interest in the summer and, and there was interest from um, Barnsley, and when we turned that down, I think his head turned a little bit, um, you know, and he was told just to, you know, bottle down. Uh, you know, you've had one good season. Um, and, uh, you know, if you show it again, then you're going to get a bigger move or you'll, we'll get more money, the money that we want. And this season, it just hasn't really happened. You know, maybe people found out his, stre- his weaknesses, I think, which was, you know, in, his, uh, around, in and around his box. Needs to be more physical. And, uh, you know, I think he's kind of, um, you know, last year he was the, the soul of the club. You know, he was out everywhere. He was very um, enthusiastic and, um, you know, just it was easy for fans to connect with him. He's been a bit more in his shell this year. So I just wonder what's gone down and it's maybe affected his form and um, obviously he's taken the chance as soon as it's come along. Um, to go there. And for us, I think we've probably got less, you know, a fair bit less money now than we um, turned down in the summer. But as we've talked a lot about before, goalkeepers don't really have a ton of value at this level, do they? I've, I've never sold a goalkeeper for money. So now uh, at the end, of, and I've done a lot of transfer deals. So, you know, that's one thing you've got up with me anyway. And then you're, you're looking to sell, is Jake Young I saw going to Carlisle as well? Well, that was the rumour um, that he was off to Carlisle, but that they hadn't reached, uh, they hadn't met our valuation on him. I was reading this morning before we came on that Vidane Oliver was off to Stevenage, potentially. Oh, okay, he's old manager. And he's a big earner as well. So maybe we're getting rid of him to see if we keep Jake Young. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them go. I think there's a lot of debate, as you can imagine, on Twitter around Jake Young uh, keep our stay, sorry, keep our sell. Um, I, I put a comment on there about he's struggled at most of his clubs and he's had one good half season. So, you know, you kind of got to have that as context of, yes, he's looked really good this season, but when you think about evaluation, if you're a League One team, are you going to go and buy Johnson Clark Harris for some goals to get you up? Or are you going to go and tr- buy someone that's had half a season? Um, and obviously, you're going to go and buy Johnson Clark Harris. Uh, and that's the market that he's in. Of course. So I don't think that it's not like we're going to get um, a ton of money for him. Are you are you going to spend any of this money and do any business in January? Or, or? I mean, I think in some way the money's already been spent. And so it's uh, closing deficits. 
but uh, I think we're going to do some business. You know, we brought Tyreek Wright back from Plymouth on loan yesterday. Um, so we'll see how that one goes. Um, I mean, there's a lot of gaps to fill. How have the, ga- how have, how have the games gone? We talked about, obviously, Peterborough's games. Yeah. It's not been good. No, I mean, we we lost to Crawley. We were talking about Crawley just then. We lost 4-2 at home to Crawley. Another early goal. We got back into it. You know, got to 2-1. Five minutes left, winning 2-1. They scored late goals. Or so you you got to question game management, you know, when you concede three goals in um, the last, well, it was the last 10 minutes plus with injury time. Um, and then we went to Derby, you know, and then went to Derby and matched them. It wasn't that they played a young team. They played a pretty strong team. Uh, and then brought on the rest of the heavyweights at half time, and we really never looked troubled with that one. We pretty much controlled it, and um, and then we go to Colchester, and we just play like a bunch of hoof merchants again. What was the score? One all. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer is, but it's it's not been good to watch. And you know, as we we had the really bad run, we we had the new manager bounce, which had you know five, I think we won five on the trot. I think we've struggled. I don't think we've won in five or six now since then. Right, okay. Gotcha. So the natives are getting uh, restless again. Restless again. And what's next? Uh, let's see. We've got uh, Doncaster, uh, Salford, and Swindon, by the looks of it. Doncaster home, Salford home, Swindon away. Well, none of those clubs are exactly in goal and form. So if there's ever a chance to get your season in form, it's winning those three games, right? Yeah. Um, Michael Flynn's gone, hasn't he? Did I see that yesterday? Correct. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. Which seems a yeah. strange one. I mean, Don- Doncaster are a bit Jekyll and Hyde, lose a lot of games. Then they beat, I think, MK Dons over Christmas. And Swindon, I think, have them one in eight or nine. Right. Uh, you know, Carl Robinson's gone into Salford. I think they won their first time in, like, you know, months. But, you know, a club like yours, you'd, you'd look at it and go, those nine points. Oh, no, one of them's a cup game, is it? Or, or, yeah. No, those are all league, I think. They're all league games. Okay. Well, that's nine points you've got to pick up. If you want to get in the playoffs, you've got to win those three games, right? Yeah, and we've got to start winning pretty soon or else that's gone, you know, for the year. We'd really we brought ourselves up to within three points. I think it's back down to seven or nine from the playoffs again. The engine's got to get started. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's an interesting, you know, eventful time to see how we go with the window. I know that Graham Alexander wants to get rid of, um, you know, he wants to um, make the squad a lot smaller. Um, so th- there'll definitely be some outgoings. But um, I would imagine we need a couple that's going to come in just to strengthen things up a little bit. How was your window looking? Yeah, quiet. Obviously, everyone knows we accepted the deal for Clark Harris. Uh, you know, Charlton obviously want to sign him. You know, our advice to Jono was go and see them. You know, any club that comes in, particularly a club like Charlton, go and speak to them. But I think he's left it to his agent and him on the phone. And, you know, I'm not going to criticize him for that. But me and the manager both said to him, our advice is actually go and meet the other manager. Go and sit with the club. Go and, you know, we had this sometimes in summers where you'd, you'd want to speak to a player. You have permission to speak to a player. Come and meet us. Yeah, but speak to my agent and try and do a deal. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. We can argue about money and we can still do that with your agent. But actually come, because my manager's met players where he doesn't like them. He's met players where he's come to me afterwards and go, you've got to go up. You've got to pay a bit more. You've got to get them. The character's unbelievable. So our advice to Jono was, Go and speak to them, go and meet them. And he hasn't done that yet. And my advice to Charlton was, I did the deal with their chief executive, get him in front of you. Because with all due respect to Jono, Charlton is a Premier League club, you know, training ground, stadium, you know. And and this isn't a thing about, oh, he's going to go for free in the summer. 
I'm not sure he's going to get a better offer in the summer, in my opinion. And that's not a slant on him. Forget about the fee for a moment. They want to sign a striker right now, fair play to them. They're showing their ambition. And the best striker in League One for scoring goals. Um, in the summer, they'll have moved on. Where do you want to end up going? Where are you going? Like, you want to go abroad? I don't think he wants to go abroad. He can talk about going abroad and all of that, whatever else. He's not that type of guy. I think he wants to play in England. So where are you going? Tell me a bigger club in League One that's going to come in for you in the summer than Charlton. Like, with all due respect, you know, they offered him, I think, a two-and-a-half-year deal with a year's option. He's coming into the prime of his career. A lot more money he's on with us. Fair play to them. Um, you know, and they might have to go a little bit more to land him. If I'm buying it, like, you know, I paid one and a half million to land Clark Harris. So, you know, I knew the difference he'd make to our team. So I went yeah. a little bit more than I needed to go with all the add-ons and extras. Um, so whilst Charlton are saying it's, you know, they're moving on and looking at other people and the players saying the same, if I were them two parties, common sense, and watching Charlton on Saturday, the difference he'd make to the team could be the difference between, uh, well, a massive difference, you know what I mean? So because they play a certain way, we, because people will say, why aren't you keeping it? Because we don't, we play a certain way. It's not a slight on the player. And the player has been fucking magnificent for us for three and a half years, you know, and we can't give him those kind of wages. We don't get those crowds. We don't pay those kind of wages, you know? So this is his chance to get paid in a good way and still be one of the best players in League One and potentially go into the championship with a club the size of Charlton, you know? So I don't see any negatives from his perspective. It's like, it's win-win. So it makes no sense to me. I don't know who's advising him. I don't know who's in his ear. I don't know what he's thinking. But if he listens to this and he has a common sense moment, the best advice I'd give him, advice I gave Marcus Madison, six months coming to the end of his contract, he was offered 10 grand a week to go to the championship to Birmingham. And he wouldn't get in a car and he wouldn't go see them. And I said to him, you will fucking regret this. Remember the text I'm sending you. This will be a massive regret of yours. You can give it all of that. I want this amount a week and I'm free in the summer and I'm blah, 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 blah. This will be the worst decision of your fucking life. And let me tell you, I bet he wishes he signed the three and a half year deal he was given at the time. So that's my advice to the player. You don't look a gift horse in the mouth. A quality club, with all due respect to other clubs have inquired, that's one of the biggest clubs in League One. It's Charlton. So anyway, so I'll leave it there. You know, uh, he's been brilliant for us. But at the end of the day, he knows the way we play and what we're doing. You know, you sit in your arse for the next five months. I I don't think you're going to get half of what they're offering right now in the summer. Just don't think it'll happen. So, just my opinion, and not a long-term deal like that with a great club. Is is it a modern phenomenon of players not going and speaking and just leaving everything to their agents, or is that something that's always happened? No, a lot of that goes on nowadays. It frustrates me because the best in the game will always tell you: pay the respect, be professional, always speak to somebody when you have permission to speak to them. You know, he definitely would like to potentially go there. Because if he's asking for money or he's asking for something, that means there's, a, there's an interest. So go and meet their manager. You know, at the end of the day, you meet their manager, you get on like a house on fire. Their manager might go to the board and say, hey, you need to go a little bit more per week to land this deal. We need to change the, the way we've offered it. We need to do something. You know, so I just think any player, whether it's John or anyone else, when they turn down the opportunity to speak to a manager and come and meet you, I don't think it's the right way to do it. And we, you know, I've got a couple of players from the summer who did that who are probably now wishing they'd come and spoke to us. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only half a day, isn't it? It's half a yeah, day out of your yeah, life. Yeah. It's probably two hours getting on a train, coming down, speaking with a manager, and talking about football, talking about this, talking about that, you know. Yeah, I, I just think it's like silly. So anyway, that, that's my, if Alan Swan or anyone else is reporting, 
I'm not slating the player. I'm not having a go at him. I'm just saying common sense would be he should get in his car, get his wife to drive him to Charlton, meet their manager, meet their hierarchy, have a look around before you go. I'm not going there unless I get this. Because I just think there'd be regret not making that move. That's just my opinion. Yeah. The rest of the window, yeah. Look, we, we don't want to lose anyone. You know, we have a deficit till the end of the season. Manager knows that. Clark Harris is part of that deficit. Ronnie's part of that deficit. But we want Ronnie back on loan. Um, particularly, he goes to a Premier League club. It's two weeks to go in the window. We'll see what happens. We're getting phone calls about our front four all the time and other players, but we don't, we're not selling any of them. It would take something extraordinary, you know, and again, it would be attached with, yeah, I'm having him back for the summer as regards one of our front four. So, but we're like every other club. You go into a season with cash flow for a year. You've got your first half cash flow is July till January 1st. And then you got your next cash flow January 1st to the end of June. So we obviously have a hole there that needs filling. So I'd love to keep everyone together. But my manager, my staff, everyone's well aware that, you know, we've always had this situation and they're fine with that because that's the way we operate and they're very transparent with each other. So if the right deals come in, great, they go. Um, and we'll see. So, so bringing players in, not that busy. We haven't got that much cap space. Um, you know, we have, contrary to what people think, we've got a decent enough size squad. Um, potentially some some competition back up for H at left back. Um, you know, potentially we'll see how the window goes regards right back to the end of the window. Um, we've got young Jadel playing there at the moment. We've got Danelli, who is our young protege or our young talent uh, starlet from our academy that should be fit again next week. Um, you know, and, and yeah, and, and so we'll see where it goes. I know all our fans are on about PK and, yeah. you know, the <laughs> yeah. Roderick. Is there thing, any hope there? I, you know, I, I have to say to our fans, I have to say to everyone, let's stop winding up Rotherham fans. Let's, you know, because, and I don't mean that as a dig to our fans because they like that banter, but sometimes that doesn't help either. So he's a Rotherham player, I, you know, and I don't like when people speak about other people's players. So out of respect to their manager and to their directors, who I have a lot of respect for, you know, I go back a long way with Tony, you know, I'm not going to speak about Peter Chiesa, except to say, you know, he's a brilliant professional and a great guy but he's a Rotherham player. And, you know, we wish we wish them, you know, the best of success, you know, and staying up in the champ because I always want teams like Rotherham us to stay up in the champ. So, you know, we our fans, everyone has to just leave that alone and, and, and let them do what they're doing because he's their player. And if it were me and it was my player, I'd start getting the fucking hump. I'd be like, you know, listen, that's our player. Just, you know, enough already. So we had a loan for a season. There was always a break clause that they could bring him back if they needed him in their squad. That's what they've done. So we have to respect that. It seems this time around that there's been a lot more loans that have gone back, you know, in January than before. Maybe it's just the being more reported, but is that a trend as well that you're seeing more and more that clubs are bringing their players back in January? I think there's more and more break clauses going in. And I think a lot of clubs, now I'm not saying this about Rotherham or us, by the way, because I think Rotherham genuinely had, you know, injuries and issues and they needed like covering their squad. But some clubs will do it because. If a player's done well, they've got value, like Jake Young. We're going to take him back. We've now got value. We can sell him. I'd do the same. Every football club's in it do the same and do better for themselves and, you know, whatever else. So, yeah, it, it, the loan market's always like that. It's always the risk you take when you take a loan on board. So, you, you, you know, you always know you're leaving yourself vulnerable to potentially that happening. You know, we're looking with Man City. We have a relationship. They're delighted with how Jadel's getting on, so they're not calling him back. You know, and... and we're hoping to cement that relationship for years to come. 
where they give us some of their best young talent to mirror with our best young talent. And maybe the higher the leagues we go, the better quality of player. And we're not going to get into turning in lone United, you know, but like one or two to help the squad is always great. So we, we now have that great relationship with the 21s and the 90s, the 18s at Man City. And that for us is like brilliant to have. Yeah, it's like if anyone with the loans, you know, one in five work and then the one that works, you lose them after six months anyway. Yeah, correct. So it's always like that. It's where you prefer 99% of the time you own your own player. And I think we have two loans. We have Jadel. Oh, that's, I think he's the only loan we have currently have. So yeah, you know, fortunately, we're not in a position where half of our team have all gone back January the 1st and you're like, fuck. Well, that's what you see sometimes, you know, with teams who are setting the pace and they're doing it based on loan players that either, you know, they're at risk of um, everyone leaving in January or they keep them to the end of the season, but they get promoted and then they're left with nothing again. Yeah. And you, and you got to hope that you can yeah, fill those and you never really can. I mean, that's a one-off when you get no, a bunch of loan no. players all at the same time who are who excel. Yeah, so exactly right. So, you know, my always advice would be make sure the squad's 90% yours. If you do have two or three loans, you know, you're not going to lose all of them likely, but you are going to lose one or two. So always be prepared and be the inevitability of that happening. So it, it, it's just the nature of football it is what it is. Do you know what I mean? What else is going on in the game? What else we're going to talk about? That's like Yeah. So uh, let's talk uh, FFP. So Everton and Notts Forest yesterday hit with more charges and potential points deductions. And it seems for Everton, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I mean, that fan base has been battered. Um, yeah. You don't know how much their team can take. You know, they got over the 10 points. They're fighting to stay up. And now if they get hit again, I don't know enough about it. Forrest, I've seen, I saw the argument where if they told Brendan Johnson, Brendan Johnson at the time to be in line with things, they'd have got like 12, 14 million less. I think common sense has to jump in sometimes. I think for clubs coming up that are promoted, they have to rebuild. I think they should have more leniency. I think they should get more latitude. I think there should be a lot more rope, you know, given to them to, to rebuild because you're at an unfair disadvantage when you're going up against 16, 15 teams who've been in the Premier League taking two, 300 million every year for the last 10 years. You've been dying in the championship. You haven't had parachute payments. You've been getting fucking six, seven million. And then you go up and suddenly you need to rebuild your whole squad, your whole club to have a chance of staying there. Not everyone's a Brighton, not everyone's a Brentford where they can sell a player and keep doing it and whatever else. Not everyone's that, you know. So the Forest one, I don't know what the penalty's going to be. Uh, the Everton one, I think they've had enough punishment, um, you know, from previous ownership or whatever else. I think sometimes you need to go back to what happened to, if a, an owner wants to put X in, they pay X pounds more that goes to everyone else. Like the luxury tax. A luxury tax, but make sure the luxury tax goes to League One and League Two. Yeah. But cap the luxury tax. So you don't have people spending a billion quid every transfer window. So Forrest, say Forrest are 20 million over. So you have the option to be in fault of financial fair play, or you have the option putting half of that into the luxury tax to pay a fine that goes to League One and League Two. It's good for football. It's good for clubs struggling. Forrest, you know, sensible way of punishing them instead of we're going to hit you with points, we're going to hit your owner, we're going to hit whatever else, you know, those owners have got checkbooks. They'll probably be happy to write, but cap the luxury tax. Yeah, it feels, um, I think until the Man City case is resolved, there's always going to be, um, well, you know, what about them? I'm get, We're getting hit, but what about them? Uh, however it's resolved, uh, I think that just makes things a bit murkier every time someone's charged. Yeah, but in, in defense of Man City, I'm not saying this with a relationship with them on loans and stuff. They've sold 
academy players for the last six, seven years, every year. They've raised millions from selling players. You look at the players that have come through that academy. Even though they didn't make money on Sancho when he went to Germany, they got the sell on. You know, you look at, you know, it's Cole Palmer at the Chelsea. So I would imagine as much as everyone's coming from Man City and they want to like 200 charges and this, that, whatever else, Man City aren't mugs. And I would imagine they're going to win that. And I would imagine when you start seeing the way they lay it out, it's why they spend so much money on their academy. Because I believe when an academy graduate, it carries a lot more in the financial, what you can lose, what you can bring in, you know, as income and whatever else. Hence why Chelsea, I think we're looking at selling Conor Gallagher. So I'm not sure Man City are the villains everyone wants them to be in the financial fair play thing. Um, and you can argue about, well, their sponsors are their owner or the airline or this, but every club does that. Every club has a relationship with a big sponsor, you know, majority of the time. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting in this window to see if United spend, now that Radcliffe's in. It's going to be interesting to see if Chelsea finally buy a striker because that's really, in my opinion, what they need. It's going to be interesting to see if Arsenal back Arteta because he needs definitely a number nine. Um, Liverpool nine, Fenway and the owners, they, they won't be spending any money to back poor Jürgen. He'll be playing a goalkeeper at left back probably <laughs> if he has to. And, he, and he'll probably still compete for the title. Right. <laughs> As I've always said, he's kind of, he's the, he's the difference maker. Him and Guardiola are the two greatest managers in, in Britain for me out of everyone. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, anything, anything else in the Premier League to discuss or should we talk Reading? It, well, let's... Uh, I want to go to Reading in a minute, but in the Championship, we had Luke Williams finally left Notts County and went to Swansea. Brilliant signing. Brilliant signing for Swansea. He was on my radar. If Darren hadn't taken the job, I would have been hitting his release clause. You know, I, I, had, um, I had him analysed and the way he plays, everything about him, like, prior. And the gaffer, my current gaffer, was a bit non-committal, you know, before... During the period we were in, is still in the playoffs because he didn't want to talk about it to the end. So, and he told me, you, you got to do your own due diligence, which I did. Hence why I was looking at a list of four or five, and he was on that. So, I think it's a great point for Swansea. I think the fans are going to love the football. I think there's going to be a lot of goals conceded, but a lot of goals scored. Um, I think he's a young manager making his way. I think he'll only get better. Yes, he had a, a chance at Swindon. He worked with Russell Martin. He did a lot of great work with MK Dons uh, when he was the assistant. And then obviously he's gone to Notts County. Well, he went first to Swansea as assistant. He left there. And then he went to obviously Notts County and has done phenomenal. And I hope it doesn't derail Notts County because they've had like the shit kicked out of them over the years. So you'd like to see them continue. And, and, and who's gone in at Notts County? I've kind of missed that in the news. Yeah, I've not, I've not actually seen. So I don't know if someone's gone in or whether they've still just got a caretaker. Yeah, I was just looking it up here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a few good jobs out there, I guess. Now, Swindon's available. Notts County's available. There's some, there's some tasty, think Notts, tasty jobs. Yeah, I mean, but, you think Notts County's a good job with everything they've done, the momentum they've got, uh, the, the team, the job. squad they've got. I would imagine that's a job for somebody to drop down uh, who may not have otherwise been wanting to manage in League Two uh, because, you know, you, you get that right and you don't need to do too much. Just keep doing what they're doing. Um, and you're going to have a heck of a chance of promotion this year. Yeah, 100%. That's a great job for any manager. Young, old, whatever. I think, yeah. What else is going on? So let's talk Reading then. So Reading obviously had their game abandoned on um, Saturday through um, the protests against the owner. A special mention to, to Bolton, the club, and their family lost his life on Saturday, yeah. I believe. Yeah, so that was tragically horrible. And fair play to Bolton, the way they handle it. You know, and everyone, I'm sure it was quite traumatic on the day. So... Best wishes to the family of the person who was, you know, deceased and, and lost their life that day. Very tragic when that happens. But yeah, yeah. And so then we had the reading, and I mean, you got to feel for the fans. Awful. It comes to feeling like that's the only way that you're going to get any attention. So here's the way I look at that: to the fans, don't be the final reason. 
for your club to get relegated from League One when it's not your fault and everyone knows whose fault it is. But you're giving them ammunition that if the EFL, for example, decide that game on Saturday, the points go to the team they were playing and you miss out on staying in the league by two points, don't let that be the footnote. And for anyone writing articles and based on what I'm saying here, all right, I'm not having a go with the Reading fans. What I'm saying to the Reading fans is it's horrible what's happening. It's terrible when you feel you haven't got your club and your club's going down the drain and all those things and all those fears and everything else. That won't happen. Reading's far too big a club with, with far too many good things going for it where somebody will rescue and come in and buy the club. So I'd say to the fans, don't let you be the reason that you're going to get a points deduction again. If it's the owner, have at it. That's him. You want to you protest outside the stadium, do whatever. Don't stop games of football because what will happen is they will deduct your points for that and you will end up losing your league status. And we played Reading and they're a fucking good team. And they had spirit when they came and played us. And their fans were bloody loud. So I would say to the fans, put your energies together and focus, sure, ownership. When ownerships don't pay bills, they deserve everything they get. But don't take away from the players and don't stop a game. Do you not... Because you, uh, you put yourself in the Reading fans' perspective. They're fighting for their club. Relegation almost doesn't matter. Okay. In the grand scheme of things. You, you know, you take the hit... But to the end goal is obviously new owners. And now I know well, you let me, say let well, me you get relegated to, you, so your club, so your club is worth less. So and you've got more debt. A new owner, and, a new owner yeah. would rather be two two promotions from the Premier League than three. So uh, I promise you, relegation will hurt you finding a new owner that you want. And that team's far too good to go down. And I think they'll stay up comfortably. But if they get pigeonholed and hit with deductions based on pitch invasions. They'll go down, and it might stop you getting a new owner. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to say to the fans is, it's horrible. I empathize with everything going on, but don't give anyone another reason to take any more points off you. Your team doesn't deserve that. Those players, from what I saw when they played us, are still fighting for your club. Don't punish the players, because if they get relegated, you're punishing the players, right? Yeah. Now, what yeah. I don't understand, and maybe this is um, a bit controversial is why there's so much stick being thrown the EFL's direction. Like the EFL is complicit in these issues that the EFL has the ability to weed out every single person who's going to lose interest in their football club when they decide that they haven't got the money anymore or something better comes up. You know, I'm not sure what the EFL can do um, to hundred percent protect clubs from owners who end up taking, you know, doing what the Reading owner has done. There's already a system in place for all of this, and we have to change the rules, and I guess that's what we're trying to do. And unfortunately, what's in place doesn't, doesn't allow the EFL to step in and take the club from the Reading owner. It doesn't allow them to place that club into someone else's hands for now. You know, uh, it's a really complicated situation. And I'm not defending the EFL, by the way. I've enough of my own issues with the EFL. But in the defence, the only way that changes, and I've said this for the last two or three years, is we have to change our own rules. We have to put in place... Um, levers, mechanisms that when you get an owner who decides, well, fuck it, I'm not paying bills or fuck it, I'm not doing this and fuck it, I'm not listening to the punishment and fuck it, I couldn't give a shit. And I, I don't know the Reading owner from Adam, so I don't know what he's doing. But you have to have something in place where that can't happen. And what an owner that is then faced is the EFL could force the club into not temporary ownership, but a pause where the EFL operated, put people with expertise in charge to operate Reading and force the owner to put it up for sale at an agreed price and let the EFL and the people running it do the sales process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's where we are on that. And so I don't know what your opinion on that is. 
it's it's hard because you know I say this having had City go through two administrations and be very very close to not existing anymore. But on the other hand, that's what makes the pyramid the pyramid. You know, there's je there has to, the pyramid. This is where we always talk about American sports. There's no jeopardy in the in American sports because what would happen in American sports if this happened? The NFL would come in, they'd kick their owners up, uh, kick the owners out. They'd take control of it and they'd find somebody else to buy them. Um, but you know, you can do that in a closed shop. But when you're in a pyramid, it's almost like you got to let things play out, and that was the jeopardy of. And I know that that doesn't. Um, protect you against rogue owners. Let's call him a rogue owner who's gone off and done, you know, decided that he's just not paying. You said the bills that, anymore. not me. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, the only thing I, I will say this as a footnote and an end to this thing on Reading, because we both don't know enough, you know, to go on and, 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 and cast different things and whatever else. But what we can say is this take Bolton as an example as Reading fans, that even in your darkest day, Bolton are one of the best teams, if, if not the best team in League One, you know. And they were basically at rock bottom a few years ago. I think they went down to League Two. They had lots of deductions, issues, problems, and they've rebuilt. And now their fans are probably fucking some of the happiest fans in the league. They're winning promotions. They're vying for titles. They're vying for cups like we are. They got owners they love. They got owners they love. The fans are back. So, again, ask a Bolton fan, was it four years ago, five years ago, when all that was going on and all the problems and all the issues and the relegations, did they believe this would happen within five years? So the light at the end of the tunnel for Reading is, I've always said this, when you're a club and a big club and you have that history and yeah. you've got facilities, a good stadium, a good training ground, and Reading is all of that like Bolton, you will come back from it. Yeah, yeah. I think that the numbers, you look at the number of clubs who have been through this, the percentages are on your side in terms of finding a way out and uh, turning things around. And it might take a little while, but um, I think that... It's it's natural to fear the end of your club, uh, you know, when anything goes on because you're not in control. That's the hardest thing is you've got no control, no say. There's nothing you can do. You're completely at the whim of somebody who doesn't care. Um, but you know, history shows that, as you say, a club of that size with that facilities, um, something will get figured out. That'd be fine. So, what's the next talking point? So let's just go to some questions. Um, yeah, we've had a few questions that have come in. Um, first of all, from John Bevan. John asks, uh, can you explain how Newcastle will get, and I'll say will get, assuming he's sold, will get a percentage of the sell-on fee we get for Ivan Tony if he's sold at any point, uh, even though he's already sold from us uh, to Brentford a few seasons back? So when you buy a player like Ivan Tony from a Premier League club, there's clauses in place. And we did a deal based on, I think we paid 350 grand for payable over three years. And Newcastle didn't want to sell him. They wanted to put him out on loan again. And I believe Scunthorpe and other people were in. We don't loan strikers. So we said to Newcastle, share in our success. If you're worried about him coming back to bite you, let's arrange a sell-on fee that you're happy with where you will share if he becomes... Otherwise, we're not getting them. So their MD at the time was like, okay, we want 50%. I was like, that's not happening. So, because we're paying a transfer fee. So we ended up compromising at 30%. So in the agreement is, Newcastle get 30% of every transfer income we receive. That's quite normal. So we have an Ivan's contract, X percent, I can't say what, X percent of whatever, you know, above 10 million of what we've received already in profit, we have X percent from Brentford. Brentford sell them on. Let's say they sell them for 100 million. 
and he goes to another club. Brentford will have a sell-on from that other club back to them. So let's say he goes wherever, Audi in two years' time or three years' time, for 300 million. And Brentford end up with another, I don't know, 30 million in a sell-on fee. We still earn money because we earn every time he moves. And then Newcastle still earn money because they earn every time he moves from what we earn. That's like a chain reaction in the contracts. So it's not just in a single a single deal, like the next time he moves. It's whenever you get money from any deal in the future. We, get I'll give you an example. We, we sold George Boyd to Hull. He had three months left in his contract. We ended up selling him. I think we got 1.8 million. And then we had a sell on. When he moved to Burnley, I want to say Burnley paid whatever. We, we, we obviously got a sell on another 300 grand. We earned even more money. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, there was just a knock on of sell on fees that came back to us. So that's just the way it goes. Do you know what I mean? In the transfer deal, we've had that all the way through. Dwight Gale moved to Newcastle. We earned another few hundred grand from that, you know, and so on and so on. And by the way, Dagenham earned from us from the Dwight Gale thing. Northampton, Northampton will have a sell on from Ivan to Newcastle. Mm-hmm. So all the millions Newcastle have earned. Yep. It's still going to go further down. Let me tell you right now, Northampton have probably earned seven figures through this whole thing. So, you, you know, if they had, if Northampton sold, he was a teenager when he went, and say they got 20% from Newcastle. So all the millions that have come to us and then our percentage sell on to Newcastle, Newcastle would then have to to Northampton. So it, it goes on and on and on. If Northampton had got them from someone else, it would go on to them. So quite normal in football. Very interesting. And not necessarily a bad thing because it rewards everyone who's nurtured and, and developed that player. Right. Trickle down, I love it. I think it's the best thing in the world. I mean, I imagine this can get pretty complex. Now you extrapolate this over thousands of footballers. Who administers all this? Well, obviously, each club knows they're earning money. So you've got, obviously, the Premier League, well, when the money has changed hands, they'll see the contract and they'll know X amount has to be kept in escrow or wherever for Peterborough. And it goes to Peterborough. The money then goes to the EFL to go to us. The EFL will look at our contract and go, X amount needs to go to Newcastle. Yeah, They'll look at Newcastle and go, X amount needs to go to Northampton. And they're all, that's the way it works, the mechanisms to make sure everyone gets paid and no one gets shafted. You couldn't have, you know, Northampton have changed their company secretary or their CEO and it kind of got lost because the contracts are in the... No, 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 no. There's triggers in place that the EFL keep the money to send to you and whatever else. So no, that's all done really well. Let's see. We have um, another question from Chris, kind of along the same lines. How does a sell-on clause work if a player's sold in a part exchange or a player swap so let's say ivan tony joins arsenal and arsenal basically give, give a couple of players and then top it up with some cash so there'd be a valuation put in place because in years gone past there's been tribunals based on arguments on this mm-hmm. oh we value that player at x amount more than he's really worth and did it did it this so there will be valuations put in the contract so say arsenal say we're giving you we're giving you 50 million and we're giving you this young player we value the young player at 20 million but there might be an argument so the players actually work more than 20 million the deal's bigger and da 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 so that's all put in place and if necessary if we don't agree with it if we smell something that doesn't and Brentford would never do that they're not that type of club if there's anywhere you're, you're a little bit dubious about what's going on here with a trade you can go to a tribunal and have all of that fought out fairly and hope the tribunal come down on your side that's happened before I believe so yeah there are there are levers in place they're at least applied in an evaluation or a worth in the deal. 100%. Or equally, if, if yeah, it, there's loads of things in place to stop anyone getting fucked and screwed because these things have happened historically. So a question from Steve, um, and we actually, this is a topic we talked about earlier, I can't help but notice the plethora of loan callbacks in early January. Um, 
does there need to be a reset of the loan system is a question. And our loan scout's not up to the job. So what he's basically saying is, and this is something that happens with us for sure, is you loan a bunch of players and you never play them. You know, why, how does that happen? So the loan market's hit and miss. You don't always hit with loans. We've done well this season with PK and Jadel. We, did, we didn't hit with young Zach. He didn't come off from Chelsea. Still going to be a good young player. Just didn't work for us this time. So it, it, it can be hit and miss. I don't blame loan scouts per se. You never know how a young player from the Premier League is going to adjust from 21's football to men's football. Some are superstars. Some are damn squibs. You know, that's just the way it goes. But often... Even if it doesn't work the first time, those young players can still go on to have fabulous careers. You could name players who went out on loan were shit and they've been sold for 50, 60 million years later. So just sometimes it's the way it works. Sometimes young players come from the Prem and it's a shock to the system walking into a League 1 or a League 2 club and they just don't settle. They just don't adjust to the circumstances. These things happen. So there is no perfect... I've always said the whole loan system needs to be reset. Like, the best club I've dealt with in the last 15 years for a loan has been Man City. The biggest thing we got from Man City when trying to do loan business in the summer was they only wanted to talk about the player development. They, they told us what the players' wages were and they told us to make an offer. We made, we made an offer and we were like, that's all we can do. And they were like, fine, just want to know about the player. They speak to us every week. They've come down to our training ground. It's the best club. There's no arguments about you got to keep them for 11 months, 12 months. You've got to do this. You've got to put them in a penthouse. You've got to, you've got to pay us extra wages. And da, 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 da. Second to that, Chelsea were good because when we called them about young Zach and said, we have him for the season, he's not going to play. They could have said, well, you keep them and paying his wages till the summer. And they understood, it's not sensible. We've got to get him somewhere else maybe. And the door's still open to do more business. So they've been pleasant experiences recently doing loan business, you know, because in the past I've been shafted by big, you know, Premier, not even big Premier League clubs who've had us pay like fortunes, you know what I mean, and wages and conditions and whatever else. Does, if, if you bring in a player and he doesn't work out, does that damage your relationship with that club for bringing other players in? Or is that seen as just, you know, that there's mitigating circumstances or, well, you know, we loaned him to you thinking he was going to get X number of games and he never played him, so why should we loan anybody else to you again? No, I think if you have a good relationship and explain a situation to a team, they understand. Like, Man City could argue, Jadel, why is he not starting every week? And we would say, well, he's 18, 19, he's in a young squad, they're winning every week, they're doing really well, and when we do use him, we use him in the right way, we play him in different positions, we're giving him that experience. They could have said, well, that's not good enough, he's got to play every week. No, they understand, he's 18. If Jadel was 21, I'm sure Man City would have a different situation situation so so you know again you don't want to piss off Premier League clubs equally I'd get pissed off if I had a player out on loan in non-league and he wasn't being played at all and I'm say doing a favor on the wages I'd get the hump so a little bit of common sense has to come about I think sometimes communication is key if you continuously talk to each other it's fine if you don't talk to each other and problems arise and agents get involved then it's not fine um so let's just do one last um question for this week and you know, there's been a lot of going backwards and forwards in terms of valuation uh, for Bradford City and, you know, the, the kind of quandary that we're in of an owner who is a, um, you know, we, we look at the Reading owner, you know, and everything we talked about the Reading owner. We've got an owner that pays his bills, that puts money in to close a deficit when there's a deficit. Um, yep. and um, But that's all he does. But I say all, I think sure. that's, uh, I think he gets a lot of stick when he, he's doing a lot more than he could do when you look at owners like Reading. Sure. But on the other hand, you know, there's not really the ambition or the investment or anything like that to drive the club forward. So there's always a discussion around, you know, can we get somebody else in 
And, you know, the rumors of it wanting 10 million plus being an inhibitor to anybody else coming in and buying um, the club. That shouldn't be an inhibitor. Well, the question is, what do you believe is a realistic price in the current market? Whatever the owner wants. Yeah. So you, you, you've got an owner who, who doesn't need the money, obviously. Um, he runs a sustainable business where it doesn't cost him a fortune. He owns a football club that pays its bills. So he's not forced. He's not, he's not short of a dollar. So I guess, you know, the answer to the question is whatever he values the club at. So, and I'm not talking in his favor. I'm not trying to, you know, be nice to him, you know, whatever. I'm just giving the reality is, is that, yeah, he can be criticized for not spending 2 million on transfer fees and doing this and doing that and hiring the wrong managers, not winning promotions and they should be in the championship. We know all of that. But in a, in, in a day when you see what's going on at Reading and you see some of the other horror stories out there and, you know, whatever else, he has to be commended because he does pay his bills. So I think that gives him the right to ask for what he wants. If he wants 10 million for Bradford, you know, why hasn't somebody paid it? Because they're getting a, a club that with the right management and the right, you know, organization could be worth a lot more than that in a few years with promotion. Because of the growth in the crowds. Now, they don't own their own training ground, I believe. I don't think it's state of the art. You don't have a Cat 2 Academy. Um, you don't have, you've got a ground that's obviously got issues. You don't own it. You, you, there's issues with the previous. The, the, the yeah, there's a lot of different maintenance there. Right. So those things go against you. And probably worse than that, I don't think you've got a squad worth a lot of money, do you? There's no assets if in the squad. If you're selling one of your best players for 175 grand, you know, so that, because that's always the argument people say to me, how do you value Peterborough at 20 million? And then I'll go, because I could sell my front four probably for 20 million in the summer. So you're, you're walking into a club, yeah, do we carry debt? Yeah, we are. We are 10 million in debt, like a lot of clubs who spend money like us. But we got all your assets and your sell-on clauses too. Yeah, we have we have a sell-on clause that could potentially wipe out pretty much all the debt. And we have players with an average age of 22.7. They're worth money all over the park, including the squad. So my argument would always be that's what you're buying. And not only that, you're buying a club with a cat academy that's good to go, that's ready to go, potentially to go higher with a lot of upside and not a lot of drama attached to it. So... You know, that would be my counter when people say, how can you value the club at this, 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 and this? So that's just always my answer, you know, when I, when I have it. So if we had a, a squad full of 29 and 30-year-olds at one-year contracts and not worth fucking shit, I, I would have to readjust my expectations and my valuations. So, but it's eye of the beholder and all of that. And, you know, my price is my price. And I guess the Bradford owner is his price. And how much do you want it? And also, I think that there is no benchmark because every club is different. Absolutely. You know, the circumstances, for all the reasons you just talked about then, is why, and I'm just making this up, Carlisle could have a valuation that's higher than Bradford, and who knows what the Carlisle people paid. And you look and think, well, not a great stadium, not a great history in terms of performance, but they may have assets in the club. They may have a better academy. They may have all these other things. They've got League One status. All those things play into, um, you know, evaluation on a club-by-club basis. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you're right. So, yeah, and, and they look like they've got good owners who are backing their manager and they're spending a bit of money and, and they're buying younger players and doing all of that. So, you know, who knows? I mean, people would probably say, how much is Wrexham worth? Wrexham is probably now worth 25, 30 million because of all the, the stuff going on around it and they're rising through the leagues. You know, they're building a new stand. You know, they're, they're selling out every week. They've got revenue galore. I'm here in LA right now and walking around LA yesterday. American walking in full Wrexham kit, wandering around, and I'm like face palming at the same time. But look at that's the brand now. You give credit to to the two owners, uh, Ryan and Robin, say that they've pumped a load of money in, and what they've managed to do is make it work. Where now they get their money out with a profit. Yeah. So 
you, you, you know, and sky's the limit. And then the ESPN put them on for the FA Cup every time. So that's worth a few hundred grand extra year in revenue. So I had to say that for a few of the Wrexham fans to wind them up. But, you know, the reality is Wrexham's worth a lot of money now. Three years ago, you'd have laughed. So, um, you know, their investments will be a good investment if they decide to cash out when they get to the championship. So, you know, Wrexham in the championship, by the way, is inevitable. Yeah, so, I think you, so as well. You, you know, so it is inevitable. So, you know, that's going to happen. There's somebody who listens to the pod who reaches out fairly frequently that I'm talking to who's a Wrexham fan. He was like, you know, come to Wrexham. You know, we get you a ticket when you play in a couple of weeks. And I would love to. Um, and my comment was, it's a shame because this is probably the last time we're going to play each other for a while. Um, because that's exactly, you know, what I think is that they're still they're going to, on that. They're, they're going to be in the, the championship trajectory. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So they're inevitable. So I've said that before. So it is football. So anyhow, well, listen, All right. that's been a good episode. So, uh, you, you know, like we said there, you know, me and you, you know, to the bitter end, you know what I mean? No, no, well, nothing will stop us recording. Um, I'll, uh, we'll catch down up next now. week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to go on with a steam shower because I'm just like, oh, yeah. So uh, catch up with the missus and then have a steam shower and then I fly during the morning. So I'll let you go, my friend. Yeah, all right. Safe travels and we'll talk to everybody again um, soon and keep those questions coming. See you guys. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.